Hey, give it up for the Smiths. Isn't that incredible? Nine children, nine kids. I have no problems. All right, that's, that's incredible to see that. And I'm just uh, grateful that uh, they were willing to share their story. And I wanted you to not miss what they said in the video. I love just their vulnerability, how Tony was like, hey man, I'm kind of a natural skeptic. And so it's been difficult at times for me to actually step out and to do this. And I love what Deidre said at the very end of the video. She said, if we hadn't have stepped out, we would have missed this. And I want you to know that that's really what Awaken has been about. If you're just now joining us for this series, we're wrapping it up next weekend. And we have just been entering into this season together as a church where we don't want to miss what it is that God wants to say to us and do in us so that he can do something through us. And that's really what faith is all about. Like if we wait till we have all of our uh, questions answered, if we wait till we have everything kind of in our sort of sphere of control, that's not really faith. And then we end up missing the power of the moment in which God wants to supernaturally intervene and do something within our lives. And uh, man, last night we had a, a really a, a historic event in the life of our church with Advanced Commitment Night. We met right here in this room and there were several hundred people that gathered together. We worshiped, we prayed, and then we made our pre-commitments to what uh, God is gonna do in this Awaken initiative. And it was a sweet and powerful and unifying time together. It was just incredible. And afterwards, uh, you know, nearly an hour after everything was over, people were hanging out in the lobby in the atrium spaces. And part of that's because we fed them, but, but, but they were still like hanging around. There's just such a sweet spirit in the room. And it made me really excited. I think it was just a little taste of what we're gonna experience next week on Commitment Sunday. So I want you to make it a priority to be here as we wrap the series. And as the rest of the church just comes together and makes two-year uh, commitments to uh, what God is gonna do in and through us in this Awaken vision. If you have your Bible, go ahead and find uh, 2 Corinthians chapter eight. That's the passage we're gonna be in. Hopefully you also have your Awaken book that you brought with you. And if you do, go ahead and turn to page 74. Uh, that's where we're gonna be uh, together today. And uh, you know, I don't know how many of you are aware of this or not, but when it comes to the subject of like money, giving, uh, material, financial possessions, that subject is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. There's over 2,000 scripture references that address it. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you because you might be like, well, the Bible's a really thick book, you know, Genesis to Revelation, 2,000 references. Is that a lot? Well, let me just give you a little bit of context here. When it comes to other really important subjects in the Bible, uh, there are 40 verses from Genesis to Revelation that address the subject of baptism. Baptism is a pretty big deal. There's 275 that talk about prayer. There are 350 that talk about faith, 650 on love, but a whopping 2,350 that deal with material and financial possessions. Like it's not even close between first and second. Now, the reason why the scriptures address the subject so often, and if you've been here during this series, you, you've heard me say this, is not because God is short on cash or that he wants yours. The reason why there's so many references is because as Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it is as if there is like this thin fishing line wire between our treasure and our heart and wherever our treasure goes, there our heart follows. So the reason why the scriptures speak so often to the subject is because God wants our hearts. And what we do with money, how we think about money, shapes our hearts. 
Remember years ago, I had it explained to me this way. It was super helpful. Maybe it'll be helpful for somebody here today. It's if you were to wade out into a creek or a stream where water flows, you kind of roll up your pant sleeves and walk out ankle deep, and you were to reach down and pick up a few of the rocks that have been in that creek bed for a number of years, you would see that the flow of water over the rocks has shaped them. It's, it's, it's kind of smoothed out the rough edges. It's, 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 it, the flow of the water has shaped it over time. And I would say in a very similar way, uh, money, as it flows in and flows out, easy come and easy go, as they say, from the very first paycheck you ever got, maybe mowing yards or babysitting, to the very last paycheck that you receive before you retire and start collecting Social Security, as money flows in and as, it, as you pay expenses out, that money and the way you think about it shapes your heart. That is why the scriptures speak so often to it. And many of those 2,350 references, many of them are found in our text today and next weekend. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. These two chapters together make up the longest continuous teaching on giving and generosity in all of scripture. And they, they contain some really powerful principles if we're willing to really listen to what it is they have to say. I wish I had time to unpack every single verse in the chapter, both this week and next, but uh, due to time constraints, I just simply don't have the time. So what I wanna do is I wanna encourage you to read chapters eight and nine continuously on your own over the course of this next week. And as you do, ask God to just point out things to you, and he will. Like ask God, what are the principles that are found in these chapters, like principles that I needed to just sort of write out, like write them out in your own words and internalize it because there's some really powerful insights here as Paul writes to this church in Corinth. Now, a little bit of context for the letter. Paul, one of the primary things that he did was he traveled around and he uh, did new church startups. Like he started brand new churches. And if any of you have ever been a part of a, a startup business, then you know that you've got to raise a lot of capital on the front end in order to get that thing started. Well, same thing is true with the church. And so a lot of Paul's writings was he was imploring the churches that were already in existence to give offerings towards these other churches so that way they could get started. And a lot of our giving theology comes out of Paul's teaching here. And then Jesus obviously backs up a lot of what, it, what it, it is found in the gospels as well. And every time Paul encourages these churches to give, this is so important for us to understand. He's never asking them to give to something, meaning like he's not asking them to give just to meet a need, just to build a thing just to meet an expense. He's asking them to give from something. And that from is a heart that has been changed by God. In fact, Paul would even say, it's much more important that you give from a changed heart. And if you can't give from a changed heart, he'll mention this next week in chapter nine, it'd probably be better for you not to give at all because you're actually giving from the wrong kind of heart and that's gonna be toxic to your soul. So here's a principle that we find in this chapter. Generosity is a matter of the heart. And always when Paul is saying, hey, here's a tangible need, he always takes the time to disciple the heart of the giver who's doing the potential giving. And that's so important to understand because I don't know of anybody else, any other business, any other entity that is interested in my heart when I give them money. Like when I go to my favorite restaurant and the waiter brings me the bill, and I put the little credit card in there and he whisks it away and then comes back and says, hey, thanks so much for dining with us. I've never once had a waiter say, but what I'm really interested in is, is your heart in the right place as you pay the bill today? 
Like I've just never had that happen. Like I've never made a mortgage payment and then the bank sends me an email or gives me a phone call. Hey, Mr. Brockett, you know, so we just wanna follow up with you here. and Thank you for, you know, paying your mortgage payment on time. But what we're really interested in is the disposition of your heart as you made your mortgage payment this month. That has never happened. Because really what they're interested in is the bottom line. If they get their money, then they're good. Who cares about your heart? But that's the opposite with Paul. Paul's like, no, I'm really interested in your heart because what you do and how you think about money and generosity, it is heart shaping. And so Paul knows this. So here's what he's doing in this letter. He is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And this was a church with so many problems that he, it required two letters. <laughs> the, the, the Christians in Corinth were Christians gone wild. Right? They, they were off the rails all kinds of issues. And so Paul writes them a letter in, in the first Corinthians and now he's following up with the second one. And part of what he's doing here is he is urging, and actually they were pretty well off, by the way. They had a strong economy. People were in a different season of life. They were doing pretty well. And Paul is urging them to be generous towards the churches in Jerusalem. Now to give you a frame of reference, here's a map of the day in which he writes. So he's writing to the churches in Corinth and he said, hey guys, I want you to be generous all the way 800 miles across the Mediterranean to a place that you uh, likely may not know anyone. Uh, likely you may have never been there. You might not ever go there. Uh, you know, 800 miles for us is not that big of a deal. You can get there in a day. But back then that was a bit, pretty big deal. And uh, it was likely that they just, they were like, why in the world would we give to a place 800 miles away? Like Paul, you know, we could give in our own backyard. We've got needs right here in our community. You know, we, we, could, we could be generous there. Why would we give all the way over there, Paul? We don't like their weather. We don't like their food. We don't like their football team. Paul, why would we be generous towards them? And I think he's getting a little bit of pushback from them. And that is why in the, in the passage, we're gonna see that he's actually using, if you look at the map, uh, the churches in Macedonia as an example of generosity that he's trying to use their generosity as inspiration and even conviction and challenge for the churches in Corinth. Now, here's what you need to know about the churches in Macedonia. If the church in Corinth was well off, the church in Macedonia was not. In fact, in the passage, Paul's gonna describe them as saying that they were going through a severe trial. Now, I would imagine that everybody listening to this has been through one of those before in your life, if not multiple. Maybe you're going through one right now. And a severe trial could be a health issue. A severe trial could be like an emotional or mental health issue. A severe trial could be unemployment. A severe trial is you just found out you lost your job. A severe trial is uh, unexpected medical bills. We, we all know what that's like. He said the churches in Macedonia, that, that's what they were going through. And they were in extreme poverty. Not just poverty, extreme poverty. So what's that look like? Well, that could be, uh, you know, uh, we're a college student and working my way through college and I don't have a lot of money. Uh, that could be, we're a young couple. We just got married and we want to buy our first house, but interest rates are 8%. This could be like a little bit later in life. And, you know, we've got five kids in college all at the same time. And as you've heard me say it before, putting kids through college is like buying a brand new BMW every single semester, pushing it off the cliff. That's what that's like. And so you're like, man, you know, we don't have any money. Like we got to put kids through college or maybe even beyond that. You're like, you know, we didn't quite get enough saved for retirement or we've got aging parents and they don't have good health insurance. So we're supplementing that. So extreme poverty, severe trial, extreme poverty. That was the characteristic of the Macedonian churches. And Paul had asked them to give generously. Here's usually our logic. Why would he do that? That kind of seems a little bit insulting. 
Paul, why wouldn't you find somebody that was more well-off and ask them to give? That's usually the logic that we use. And Paul tells us why. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. He says, now I want you to know, he's writing to the Corinthians, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done, notice these words, circle or underline them, through the churches in Macedonia. And that is why we've been saying through this whole series that the primary goal for us in Awaken is that God might do something in you. Hard stop. Like we really mean that. That's not just like we're just giving a voice uh, to that. We're not just uh, you know, saying that we want that. That's genuinely what we want. The primary goal of Awaken is that God might awaken you to what it is that he desires to do in you because you stopped listening to his voice at some point in your past. And I don't know how many conversations and DMs and emails and texts I've had from people who said, we just didn't know how much we needed this series until we got into it. And most of my conversations with people during this series has not been about money. It has been about being awakened to the voice and the move of God in their lives. And since our hearts are oftentimes connected to our money, that's usually the thing that oftentimes kind of, kind of sorts of gets our attention and waken, wakes us up. See, I, I think that if you've ever, and I know I'm not speaking to everybody, but I'm likely speaking to somebody, that if you've ever had an experience in a church where the church went through a capital campaign or a generosity initiative and it left a bad taste in your mouth, I, I have enough experience to know that this is probably the reason why. Is that I think, and I think many times it's well-intentioned, but we have a tendency to skip over the in you part and go right to the through you part. And so we begin to say, hey, hey church, we gotta do the thing, build the building, we gotta climb the mountain. And, uh, and we can end up, like, even if it's unintentional, beginning to feel a little bit used and manipulated. Maybe feel a little bit like a cog in a machine because we skip that whole in you part and I don't want God to do anything through you until you've taken enough time for him to do something in you. And this is what has happened in the church in Macedonia is he says, God was clearly at work in their lives, severe trial, extreme poverty, but God was at work in their lives and he was doing something through them. And then he says this, all right, uh, buckle up. This isn't good news. It's kind of good news, but it's not good news, at least initially. All right, does that make sense? No. Okay, here we go. So he says this. He goes, they are being, what's the word? Tested. How many of you like a good test? I was like, come on, man, bring on the test. Like, no, like nobody likes being tested, but it's, it's absolutely necessary that you and I are tested because that actually shows what kind of faith that we have. See, God never promised that life would be easier with faith. He said that you'll be stronger because of it. And so he says, man, they're going to be tested and then they're going to go through many troubles. Paul, can't we just have one trouble? No, it's going to be many troubles. Life is filled with trouble, meaning that there is never a season where you and I are not being tested and not going through some sort of trouble. If you wait to be test-free and trouble-free, in order to be totally available for God to use you, you'll be waiting an awfully long time. And then you'll get to the end of your life and realize I never once engaged God on that faith journey. I played it safe through my whole life and I never made myself available to him. And he said, they were very poor, but now notice the dichotomy of words here. They are also filled that's sort of a surprising word given their circumstances. They are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed 
in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, in other words, they weren't like playing it safe, but they gave far more. Now that could be monetary, doesn't have to be. It could actually be that God saw the condition of their heart and realized like, wow, man, I'm so pleased with what they're giving, even though the amount is maybe far less than what the Corinthians could give. I see that they are giving out of an abundant and joy-filled heart. And they did it of their own free will. In other words, nobody shamed them into it. Nobody guilted them. Nobody was twisting their arm. They did this because they wanted to. So notice the characteristics in the passage. They gave beyond their ability. They gave of their own free will. They gave of great joy. In fact, at one point, Paul says that they were pleading him for the privilege of participating. Like, Paul, we want to do this. Don't leave us out of this. Because we know that when we do this, We're inviting God into our lives. He is awakening us and we actually get to see a demonstration of his power when uh, we take our weakness before him and it gets matched with his strength. Now, if there was anybody that could have pushed back from the table and disengaged from this opportunity, it would have been the churches in Macedonia. They had a good reason to, a totally understandable one. They could have said, you know, Paul, this is not a good time. We're going through a really difficult thing here. And, uh, you know, we, you know can, can you check back with us maybe a year from now when the economy's recovered and then, and then maybe we'd be happy to, to participate in this. But they didn't do that. They chose in this moment to engage with God because I think they knew something that oftentimes you and I forget is that regardless of our circumstances, we have a tendency to resource the things that give us joy. Man, we just do. We'll figure out a way. You know, it's like if shoes bring you joy, we'll figure out a way to resource that. You know, if that vacation brings us joy, we're gonna figure out a way to resource that regardless of our circumstances. I read this last week that last year, 2022, Americans spent $10.6 billion on Halloween, costumes, decorations, and candy. Now, I'm not judging, nor am I advocating. So keep your email to yourself, all right? This is just an observation. I just read this in the news. All right, so, so 10.6 billion last year. I don't know, that seems like a lot. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know that the economy's doing any better this year than what it was last year. So I wonder what it's been this year. This year, uh, we upped it 12.2 billion. And so, so once again, not advocating, not judging, just an observation that we usually find resources to the things that give us joy. So here's a question. Do the characteristics in the passage describe you? Joy, overflow, far more privileged. Do those words describe somebody who's facing a severe trial in extreme poverty? See, these, these Macedonians, they could have taken a back seat. They could have said, Paul, hey man, we're all in. We wanna see churches planted in Jerusalem. This just isn't the season for us. I just wanna get real for a minute. I would imagine that... Uh, there is somebody right now today and you're going just through a financial storm. And I've talked to several people already, like God's just doing some, he's at work right now. And I just talked to somebody who said, you know what, man, I just found out that I'm getting ready to lose my job. This is gonna be a step of faith for me. You know, maybe right now there are, there's just unexpected financial storms that have come into your life. And I just want you to know that I would never ever diminish that. That is a fact, that is not fiction. But I guess the question that I'm asking is, are you 
choosing for God? Are you predetermining your course of faith by saying, God, this just isn't, like I'm all in, but this just isn't the season for me. Let me take a pass, come back, revisit in a year whenever circumstances are different. And when we do that, we are actually disengaging, we're actually distancing ourselves from the voice and the power of God in our lives. This is why we've said the primary goal of Awaken is 100% engagement, and that is a purposeful and biblical word, engage, engage. So what does that look like? Well, right now, um, are you like on your face, praying big, bold, courageous prayers right now with God? Are you like hungry, saying, God, I'm going to the scriptures today, not to like check a box, but I'm going to the scriptures because I need to hear a fresh word from you. God, right now I'm watching what's happening in the world and this thing just feels like it's accelerating out of control with wars and with AI and with all of the technology and with all the instability and all the political division. And God, this is just so frightening. And my tendency is to either be overcome with fear and anxiety or to become enraged with anger. God, instead of those emotions being hijacked by those emotions, like I, I wanna be fully devoted to you, to be your ambassador of your kingdom coming, to bring a light into the darkness. Are you engaged with God or have you disengaged from God due to circumstances that you're trying to control when control is simply an illusion? Listen, if God is asking you to do something scary, that's a good thing because if you're scared, that's usually what can change you. It requires enough faith to say, God, I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I choose to give it to you. So the question that I just wanna place in front of you is are you disengaging from God, either saying, man, right now my life is kind of crazy. This just isn't the season for me. Or here's the other reason we oftentimes give. I just don't know that I have enough trust to be that kind of generous. And those are usually the two cards that I play. Oftentimes, by the way, my sermon outlines is just me confessing to you. <laughs> That's my sermon outline. I just know like in my life, whenever I wanna disengage from God, it's because God, you know, I got four kids. I don't have nine, but I got four. I got four. And God, I got four kids and I've got these obligations and I've got things that you know, I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to provide. I, I need to provide, God. That's actually my code word for control. Or here's the other one is, uh, God, I just don't know that I trust other people. You know, people are shady, people are broken, people are dishonest, so, you know, and I actually use that as a reason to disengage. Um, several years ago, I was in the Meyer parking lot and I, I walked out to my truck and I real briefly made eye contact with a lady who was walking towards me. And I didn't know that I recognized her, uh, but she kind of like, kind of made a little bit of eye contact, kind of walking my way. So I got in the truck and she starts walking real quickly towards the truck and she's trying to flag me down. And I was tempted to just pretend like I hadn't seen her and like drive away, but you never know. She could be one of you. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, so I don't, let, me, let, let me stop, you know. And, and, and she wasn't one of you. It was very clear. She didn't know who I was. She was out of town. But she, but she walks up and you, you've had this conversation, likely at a gas station, where somebody walks up and they start in with the whole rehearsed speech. You know, she, empty gas tank, no cash, no phone, you know, all by herself, you know, trying to get, you know, to Chicago or out west or wherever. And, uh, you know, could you spare enough change so I could fill up my gas tank? 
And man, during the whole thing, I mean, I've heard this before and I'm sitting here, I immediately kind of like disengage and I get annoyed and I'm like, man, and I'm sitting there going, man, why, why should I give her my hard earned cash? I got responsibilities of my own. I got four kids at home. And, and then here's the next thought that I had. I was like, I don't really think she's using this for gas. You know, she's probably using it for booze or drugs or whatever. So I, so I, can, I can let myself off the hook here. And it was like right in that moment, it was as if the spirit of God was like, hey, Aaron, actually, both of those things might be true, but I wanna know, like, are you willing to be used by me right now in this moment? Because actually, quite frankly, even if she does use the money on booze, that really has nothing to do with your heart. Let me take care of her and her integrity. I actually want you to just be like uh, obedient to me in the moment. And so literally, like I reached into my wallet. I didn't even look to see how much cash was in there because I didn't want to talk myself out of it. I just grabbed whatever was in there. I just kind of handed it to her. And I, I could tell like it was more than she was expecting me to give her because she looked at it and she goes, my, my, my. I'm going to fill up my gas tank and then take my girlfriends to Golden Corral. That's like what she said. I was like, all right, good luck with that. You know? and, I'm, and I'm driving away. And it was like in that moment where God was like, hey, Aaron, you actually excuse yourself from trusting me in those moments of faith because you're playing the control card and you're actually playing that card to say, you know what? I don't know that the other person is trustworthy. And he goes, it has nothing to do with them. You're not giving to them, you're giving to me. Can I, can I just say this? Because I know that what kind of environment we live in, like I don't live under a rock. Like I know that there is like high skepticism towards large organizations and institutions and churches. And quite possibly you've been hurt by maybe a group of Christians or a church that actually mishandled money in some way. Maybe it was even in some initiative sort of like this. And I think that actually this has been as old as time because actually this is in the text. I think the Corinthians push back on Paul for this exact reason. I think that they push back on him. We don't have the letters that they wrote to him, but I think that in their letter back to him, they're like, Paul, how do we know that you're trustworthy? And he mentions it in, in verse 16. Look at it. Uh, actually, verse 20, look at it with me. He says this, he goes, we are traveling together, meaning nobody's traveling with money alone. There's always two of us together to guard against any criticism. You could use the word accusation for the way we are handling this generous gift. And then he says these two things. We are careful to be honorable before who? Before the Lord, meaning God is our audience, audience of one. Uh, other people may not be able to see what we do with the money behind closed doors, but God does. We actually want to be honorable with him. And then he goes, and we want to be honorable with everyone else so that they can see that we are operating honorably, like we are operating with integrity. And can I just say to both of those things, yes and amen. And, and I want you to know that we take the stewardship of dollars given here super seriously because I've told you before that, uh, you know, that passage, not many of you should teach and preach because actually you'll be held to a higher standard. Judgment day is going to be kind of sobering for all of us. It's going to be especially brutally, brutal for me. Because God's gonna hold me accountable for my personal life. He's also gonna hold me accountable for everything that I've taught from this platform. And believe me, I have delivered some stinkers, All right, So, so God's gonna like be like, hey man, he's gonna, and he's also gonna hold me accountable to the stewardship of dollars. And I, and, I, and I, guys, especially in this environment where we see leaders falling all the time, I don't wanna give the bride of Christ a black eye. And so we wanna be honorable. This is why we have accountability limits and controls. And then also to recognize that we wanna be as honorable before God as we possibly can be. And can I just say to you, like, you know, uh, human beings will break our trust and let us down. That is an unfortunate reality about life. But man, don't push back from the table and not go on a faith journey with God because of other people's lack of integrity. You're not giving to humans, you're giving to God. And 
If human beings do lack integrity in the way that they handle it, guess what? God's keeping record and he'll hold accountable. So how were the, these early believers able to give in ways that they did? How were they able to go above and beyond this? Well, verse five is how. Look at what it says in the passage. They begged us again and again for the privilege. That's how they saw it. Oh man, this is a privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action. Here's how they did more than what we had hoped. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. This is a matter of first and best. And the way in which they were able to, to be generous is they said, hey, we've given ourselves fully to God. Right, man, we are, we are recognizing that it's not even generous because God's provided it all. We're just simply returning to him what he has richly provided to us and he has our hearts. And so because of that, we've, we've made him first priority in our lives. They were fully engaging with what it is that God wanted to do within them. And then it says in verses six and seven, so we have urged Titus who encouraged you, uh, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm. In other words, guys, this was a talented church. They had gifted speakers. They were really, really smart. They were enthusiastic. This was like a charismatic church. And he goes, man, you guys are so, so gifted. But he goes, I also want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. You know what that tells me? That tells me that generosity is actually something that can be strengthened and developed like a muscle. And it's one of those things where you're like, you know, if you're just like, man, I just really want to get strong. So I'm just going to keep looking in the mirror until one day I'm actually strong. No, you've actually got to put in the reps and you've actually got to flex it. And so that's very similar when it comes to generosity. I don't know uh, how many people I've ever had come to me and say, you know, when it comes to like spiritual gifts inventories and whether things are really good, I don't know if I've ever had anybody come to me and just go, you know what, my, my, my top gift is generosity. Like, it's nobody's top gift. Like, I don't know anybody that are like, man, I just feel like I'm just naturally very generous. And you, you want an example for those of you that have small kids at home, how many of them, or how many of those little, I mean angels, have been born into the world just naturally very generous? Now that's like actually one of the very top priority things as a parent to teach them is to teach them how to be generous. And the way that you are generous, this is the heartbeat of the sermon right here. Regardless of your stage of life, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the size of your bank account, are you beginning to get the reps in now? Here's the problem with this, and I've, I've used this logic before. God, once I graduate from college and get a steady job, I'm all yours. And then what happens? Well, uh, I got the job, not getting paid as much as I thought. And, uh, you know, Uncle Sam's taking a little more than what I was hoping. And, uh, you know, I got married and, and you know, uh, we're, we're, we got rent. And so, you know, God, once we kind of get the promotion or, you know, she, she, she goes from halftime to full-time, hey, then we're all yours. And then what happens? Well, you know, we're buying a house and then the mortgage payment's pretty high and then we've got some extra repairs around the house. And, and you know, once we kind of get enough saved for an emergency fund, then we're all yours. And then we have kids and then kids are expensive and then we get them out of diapers and then they go to college and, and then, and then okay, now, now we've got to actually focus on retirement. And here's the thing, all of a sudden you wake up at the end of your life and you've never flexed. You've never been, you've, you haven't got the reps in. And you kept thinking, you know what? One day when I'm set, I'll be generous. Statistically, that just simply is not true. 
This is where God is saying, no, no, no. I'm actually not concerned about the amounts. I'm actually concerned about your heart right where you're at. But God, like, I, I mean, uh, no, I, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm asking you to be trusting and faithful with what you do have. And are you willing to take those steps of growth? And most often when I'm willing to do that, God puts somebody into my life that actually is an inspiration, a challenge and an encouragement for me to take steps of growth in that area. When Lindsay and I first moved here, uh, we didn't have any friends. And uh, so we, we just like, we're asking people, you know, to be our friends. It was sad, it was pathetic, all right? So you know, we'll be our friends. And so there was this one couple and they invited us to go to dinner with them. And they were very, very generous. There was a few years older than us and they came over, they, they picked us up so we wouldn't have to drive downtown and spend our own gas money. And so we rode with them downtown and then we went to this nice restaurant and then they uh, grabbed the bill and said, nope, it's on us, we're gonna pay. And then they take us to duck pin bowling. We'd never done duck pin bowling. We'd just moved to Indy. And so we go to this place, they paid for us to do duck pin bowling. And right next to us was this group uh, on, in a lane and uh, they had ordered a pitcher of beer. They drank about half of it and then they left uh, pretty quickly. And I remember thinking to myself, did they pay for that? And they, they leave and the waiter came over to us afterwards to kind of settle up. And the waiter said, uh, hey, is that your guys' pitcher of beer? And I could immediately tell where this was going. Like the waiter was a little bit irritated and I was kind of like, oh man, he's gonna pin that on us. And man, I started to like internally flare up a little bit. Like I was ready to kind of go toe to toe with them. And even if I had to, I would break the glass and pull the pastor card. And I pull it for like special circumstances, just like this, right? It's like, you're gonna make a pastor pay for a pitcher of beer, right? So, so, and so I'm like ready to kind of flare. Now here's the thing is like, I don't know what I was all wrapped up about. I hadn't paid for a single thing all night. But here I am ready to fight the guy over this thing. And I'm kind of ready to kind of like go at it with him. And I'll never forget my friend who just, it didn't act bothered. He was, he was calm and collected. He just looked at the guy and he goes, oh man. He's like, they didn't pay for it. He's like, so he, he's like, no, man. He's like, he's like, ah. he's like, that's not ours, but actually just put it on our bill. I'll take care of it. And I remember the whole disposition of that waiter changed. And he was like, oh man, no, it, that, you don't, that's not necessary. You don't need to do it. We'll take care of it. And once again, as I've done so many times, I walked out of there going, Brockett, what is your problem? <laughs> like, why are you trying to control things? Why, why was that such a big deal? And it's because it's a matter of the heart. And it's just like, I'm just not willing to fully trust God in those areas of my life. Why is this so important? Well, look at me at verses eight and nine. He says, I am not, this is so important guys. I am not commanding you to do this. He is not commanding you. This is not a salvation issue. This is not something you should feel strong-armed into. This is not something you should be guilted or manipulated to. And he goes, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the, here it is, generous grace. Man, if that's not how you see the generous grace of Jesus, there's something wrong. Like I never want to get to this place where I feel entitled to God's grace. I always want to get to this. I always want to stay in this place. Like God, I don't deserve it at all. And the fact that you would give it to me, the fact that you would redeem me and cleanse me of my sin, not because of anything I've done to work it off, but because of your generous grace. And then he says, here's how he describes Jesus, that though Jesus was rich, rich where? In heaven. Something about being the son of God. He stepped off of his throne, laid down his crown so that he could come to us and he became poor so that by his poverty, 
you could become rich. Guys, that's the gospel message. And that is the motivation for all of our generosity. And Paul would go as far as to say that if you don't get, like if your generosity, the way that you think about resources is not a mirror image of that, then you're actually giving from the wrong place. You're actually giving to kind of bolster up your, your pride. It's like a legalistic kind of a thing. Or you're actually giving begrudgingly, which is toxic to your heart. And he goes, no, man, like I, I want you to really recognize the generous grace of God and out of that begin to be generous, recognizing that it all comes from him. Never once in the scriptures do we see that God saying to us that he wants us to give everything we have away and live in a cardboard box. <laughs> but the closest he came to that was the rich young ruler. And he said to the rich young ruler, who the guy, by the way, thought that he had it all figured out. And Jesus said, sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. And the reason why Jesus told him to do something that extreme is because he knew that was his idol. That was where he was finding a sense of control and a sense of security. And Jesus said, well, until you let go of those things, I can never be Lord. Actually, what God is asking you and me to do is, is actually much more difficult in the sense that he's asking us to view everything that we have as his. He is the owner. We are the manager. He's the owner. We're the steward. And we have a tendency to think, well, no, I'm the owner. And so God, here's your cut. Stay out of the rest. God says, no, actually, I give, I've given you all and I just want you to return to me a portion to keep your heart soft and for you to actually participate in my kingdom coming here on this earth. No, no, well, well, God, you know, it's really not yours because, um, you know, I'm actually pretty smart and, uh, you know, I graduated from MIT and, uh, you know, I actually have some skills. And God would say, who gave you those skills? who gave you the ability to make the money that you have, who gave you that, those smarts, who gave you that body to be able to function and to move. And we begin to recognize that, man, we own nothing. We are just temporarily stewarding it. And one day, like it or not, it'll all be returned. So right now God is saying, don't miss this opportunity for your heart to be shaped by this faith journey that I want you to go on. Let me finish up the passage, verse 10. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Here's the principle. Give in proportion to what you have, which means that none of us can let ourselves off the hook. Regardless of what stage of life you're in, regardless of your employment status, he says, no, I'm asking you to give in proportion to what you do have. And that actually fluctuates through life. Whatever you give is acceptable. If you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So Paul is saying to these Corinthians, you guys made a commitment a year ago. I'm just asking you to finish it. And then he's saying, hey, I'm asking you here to... Um, make me a matter of first priority. And so here's the application question that I just simply want to leave for you today. Are you? You don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to explain your full financial position to God. He already knows it. Is are you saying, you know what, God, you're first and I'm making you priority in my life. Guys, the commitment cards that we're all going to fill out and turn in next Sunday. All this is, is just a, is an, is a statement before God of our trust level in him and the priority space that he fits in our lives. So is it, is it mortgage, then God? Is it 
vacation, then God? Is it uh, house, then God? Like, what is it? And we're, we just simply wanna say together as a church, God, your first priority in our lives and we trust you. And here's the biggest thing is that um, 100 years from now, everything that you own will be somebody else's. Your bank account, your house, your possessions, all that, like somebody else is gonna manage it. Right now, if life was a board game, all the pieces are out on the board, but eventually uh, they're all gonna go back in the box. So while it's all on the board, are you letting God work in and through it or are you waiting for some special set of circumstances to where you can finally have everything kind of in control and feel secure and then you'll invite God into it and God just simply says, that's not the way faith works. So let me finish with this story from a guy named John Orberg. Uh, This is in a book of his. Uh, I'm just going to read it and I'm going to be done. Here's what he says. My grandmother taught me how to play Monopoly, the board game. She was a lovely woman, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player you have ever seen. Imagine what would have happened if Donald Trump would have married Leona Helmsley and they would have had a child. That's what my grandmother was like. Now you have a picture of what it was like to play her. She understood that the purpose of the game was to acquire, acquire, acquire. When I played, I liked to hold on to my money because it was fun to have it. But I was just a kid. My grandmother would buy up everything that she could and eventually she would become master of the board. Every time I landed on one of her properties, she would stick out her hand and smile. And every time that we played, she would take every one of my dollars and I would have to quit in utter defeat. She would always hold up her money and say, someday you'll learn how to play the game. Well, that someday, finally came. I spent one whole summer with a neighborhood friend who taught me how to play Monopoly. We would play for hours and hours and I came to understand the name of the game. It is the acquisition of stuff. It was all about money and possessions. So I would bend the rules or even break the rules if I had to, to get ahead. At the end of the summer, more cunning and more experience, I sat down to have a big showdown with my grandmother. Slowly, I began to expose all of her vulnerabilities, relentlessly driving her off the board completely. But then it hit me. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. She's the one who taught me how to play the game. She was an old lady, a widow, the woman who had raised my mom and loved me deeply. And I had just taken everything she had. I had destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her hand me the last dollar as she quit in utter defeat. And it was the greatest moment of my life. (laughs) And I did a dance and I ran around the room and I gloated and flaunted my victory. When I finally settled down, she said, there's one last thing I need to teach you about the game. And that is that it all goes back in the box. But I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the board out, bronze it, frame it as a reminder of my ability and great victory. I had slaughtered my grandmother. (laughs) No, she said, none of it is really yours. You got all excited about it for a while but it was around a long time before you sat down and it'll be here a long time after you're gone. She said this, players come and go, but eventually it all goes back in the box. Guys, eventually it all goes back in the box. So while it's out, are you inviting God into it or are you keeping him out of it? Father, we come to you today and we wanna be awakened to your voice in our lives. And that means that we're gonna have to trust you with our idols. We're gonna have to let go of them because they've taken your place as the, on the throne of our hearts. So God, would you please give us the, the courage and the faith to, to step out? 
And I can't even begin to presume what that means for each individual listening to this message. But I pray right now, just in the quietness of this moment, that we would be open to your voice, your prompting, and the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Because honestly, right now, we know. We know. We know what it is you're asking us to give up. We know what it is you're asking us to let go of. We know what it is that is oftentimes keeping us entranced and asleep and detached from the power of your presence. God, this life is far too important for us to chase after things that are eventually just gonna go back in the box. We wanna live for eternity. We wanna go on a faith journey with you. And so we invite you in. Would you please give us the courage and the faith to do just that? Meet us in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.